but this class is about discipleship and um, something that's been on my heart a long, long time, living in Eastern Europe and seeing all the casualties of people who just don't make it because we, we teach them how to die, you know, get saved, get on the bus, you'll be out of here, but we never teach them how to live. And so the whole point after your salvation is from the very moment you get saved until you get to heaven, that's the whole discipleship process. Because unfortunately, I know you guys and none of you are going to look like Jesus when you die, just so you know. So neither am I. Yeah, it's really encouraging, huh? Only thing I promised, um, I was talking to Kevin, I said, well, the only thing I'm going to promise is that everyone will be looking down when they walk out. That's the point. That's the whole goal. They won't be talking. Uh, and your vocation doesn't matter. You know, the Bible only talks about holy and unholy. It doesn't make a secular, sacred divide. It doesn't say that clergy are special over bankers or over businessmen or over whatever. You know, entertainers, even sports figures. The Bible only makes a distinction between holy and unholy, and it calls us to be holy and to stay away from the unholy. And so whatever your vocation is, you can be a wholehearted disciple. It's not like it's something that's reserved for me just because I work here at the church. All right, it's... <laughs> Glad to see you're up. <laughs> and making disciples who... Make disciples requires submission to the Great Commission. So who can tell me what the Great Commission says? And make disciples, and then what? Yes, teaching them. See, it doesn't do enough to just go and tell them. You've got to teach them, baptize them, then teach them. So the discipleship process is ongoing. You're, a year from today... You're going to look different than you do today. You're either going to look more like him or you're going to look more like the world. That's your only two options. Everything is on a slope. Like you can't stop and be this time next year the same person you are today. That's impossible. If your relationship with your husband or wife or your friends stops, it immediately begins to decline. It doesn't stay the same. So if you picture your relationship with the Lord on a slope, and the goal is to constantly keep moving up towards him and realize that every time you stop, you're moving away from him. And just so you don't feel too guilty, you can be a thousand miles away and looking towards him. And you're much safer than someone right beside him looking away from him. Okay, it's make sure you, you're focused. It doesn't matter where you find yourself, just turn the right direction and you can get back. Um, and the, the reason it's so critical is if, you're, if your ears aren't working, it doesn't really matter what God is saying. And if your eyes aren't seeing, it won't matter what he's trying to show you. You can't see it. And so many of us, a lot of the people I talk to weekly, they aren't hearing and they're not seeing. And they're under attack. And they are. We're all under attack. But if you're still breathing, you're, you're good. Because the devil's trying to kill you. If he hadn't killed you, he can't kill you. So you can relax in the fact that if you're breathing, you're fine. But if you're not hearing and seeing what God is saying and, and showing you, you're always going to be frustrated. And you're never going to really grow into what you're supposed to be. And so many times, and I catch myself doing it, I try to pull in biblical principles into my life. Instead of living his life with his principles. So that it doesn't, my desires and my dreams are really irrelevant if I'm fully submitted to him. And I know that's not a very popular thing in this, especially in this country. Where it's all about us and our um, well, it's all about our own wants, basically. Uh, so the kingdom uh, it influences every area of society. 
So it, it influences the government, the family, the arts and entertainment, media, uh, business, church, and education. And so as disciples, we're supposed to infiltrate every area of society and influence it, not rule it. And so many times the Christian church has said that they're supposed, you know, we're supposed to take back the government. Well, who wants that? Why would you want that? Or take over the school system. And I can promise you that influence carries much more weight than power. Because if you can influence power, you can change everything. But if you try to rule it and govern it and take it over, you'll be attacked every time you turn around. And we see it on the news every day. And the kingdom is an upside-down triangle. It's not like the world system where you... Uh, start at the bottom and work your way up. You start at the top and work your way down. You, you know, you, the more you mature, the more you grow, the more responsibility you have in the kingdom. And the more weight you carry. So Jesus was servant to all. He's at the bottom of the triangle. The more you mature, the more you go down and carry the weight for others. And if you don't get that thinking in your head, you'll never become a disciple because the kingdom is backwards. If you want to receive, what do you do? You give. You want to live? Die. And most of our struggle is in our fight to live. Because we just won't die. That's why the discipleship process is so hard. It's because we mix the, the scriptures with the American dream, with our own desires, with our own uh, prosperity. Um, you never hear a testimony from someone who lost, or you very seldom do. I was taught never say never. You seldom hear a testimony from someone who lost everything and loves God more than they did before they lost it. You mostly hear testimonies about things that people got. And if I read posts all the time, you know, God is faithful, I got a job. Well, God's faithful whether you got a job or not. It's his character. But if you view it through that kind of a filter, you're always going to judge him based on what he's doing for for you. It's kind of, what have you done for me lately? And we've all done it because the, the messages in the Bible have gotten so screwed up that it is all about us. It's about prosperity. It's about God giving you the desires of your heart, except we assume that that means you dream up what you want and he's going to give it to you. You know, thus saith the Lord, you're going to have a big boat and a big ministry. And maybe you are, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with a boat or ministry. But if that's your desire and that's your focus, I can promise you, you can't hear what he's saying. Because he's not talking to you there. <coughs> the only thing I promised was I would be honest. So I don't have anything to worry about on Wednesday. <laughs> And then I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've read the last couple of weeks, a couple of major ministry leaders, quote unquote, have renounced the faith. And now they're making statements, which I haven't figured out why. I was reading an article and it, it made a good point. It said, why are they, they're confessing that they led people the wrong way and now they're trying to lead them away. And these people are still following them. It's like, well, you're a terrible leader, so I'm going to follow you again. Because <laughs> why not? <clears throat> but when you make... They haven't been disciples for a long time. Right? You don't wake up one morning and renounce the faith. You lost the faith a long time ago. It's just it took that many months or years to get your courage up, to be honest. And actually, discipleship with the Lord is honesty about everything it's not perfection it's dealing with things day to day moment to moment with him in his face not trying to fix it and bring it back and hand it to him say look i fixed it now can we walk together again it's being honest and saying i broke it will you fix it and him always fixing it and the problem is we make idols of our leaders um when i first got saved this is extreme. I, I know my 
the church I was at, I won't tell you what, what the name of it was, the pastor was an alcoholic, the church secretary's mother was a practicing witch, and the youth pastor was a recovering homosexual in the church. And they were open about some things. I went, to, I was struggling, you know, after you first get saved, I don't know about you, but you know, everything you've screwed up until you get saved, you have to fix. And so it's, it can be a bad time. So I went to see the youth pastor and uh, told him my troubles and before I knew some of the other things. And he said, well, you know, brother, what I do when I'm struggling like this is I just get naked and chant in my closet. And I remember thinking, you know, you, you ever had a conversation where you're, you're thinking, don't show it, don't show it. So I just finally looked at him. I said, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> and that was about the last time I saw him, I think. But what I'm saying is when you make idols of leaders, that's what you get. Now, those are extremes. But all these people who followed these other two leaders who have renounced their faith are now totally lost. And they're floundering all over social media because their attachment was not to Jesus. It was to them. And... Men will and women will always let you down. We're incapable of perfection. We have the Holy Spirit in us and we still can't get it right. So if, you, if you're not following Jesus, and, and you know, even this week, we've got people calling asking who's preaching on Sunday. We don't tell them. We usually say something that leaves them like wanting to ask something, but then they're afraid to. <laughs> You know, but who who cares who's preaching? Are you following Jesus? Or are you following the person? And if you're following people, it gets down to, do you want change or relief? Right? Most people just want relief. They don't want change because change is painful and it's permanent or can be permanent. And all we want is the pressure off. I have a family member who struggles with addictions and they'll call me every once in a while when they're at the bottom and they'll say will you pray for me and I'm like yeah again and then they wake up in the morning and realize they're not dead and so they don't call anymore for a while until they hit bottom again because he really doesn't want change he wants relief he wants the pressure off and a lot of our discipleship process is designed by us to get the pressure off and God uses pressure all the time. And there's a danger of falling away from God without even knowing it. And I, I've been walking with the Lord since 1983. Well, walking sometimes with him, sometimes around him, sometimes not looking. But uh, you, can, you can actually fall away from the Lord and not even realize it. If you're not looking at him to begin with. And it's when your desire is no longer focused towards him. And I'm just going to say this because, of course, since I'm going through this stuff, I'm having to do my own evaluations and failing miserably. So nobody else is going to get out of here feeling good about anything. I don't think I thought about the Lord this morning after I got up until after lunch. I don't think I, I, did, I did read some scripture, but I didn't think about the Lord. I went through my religious duties, but I wasn't thinking about him. And it, and it shook me when I realized, you know what? I can look really good and, and be totally dead inside. And so that's what drives me. I don't want to be that kind of guy. I'd rather never be known but be so close to the Lord that I, I hear his heartbeat. I feel his breath like John on the back of my neck. And I know what he's saying and what he's, what he's doing. And you know what else I've found is when I'm secure with him, I have a lot less need to get security from you. Because it's only when I'm not looking at him and I start looking at you that I start comparing. And once you start comparing, you're in trouble. Because you'll never measure up. If I asked you to make a list of your strengths, you'd give me two. If I said, tell me your weaknesses, you'd give me 20. Because you just can't measure up in your own eyes. 
So you'll constantly compare, and then you'll tear others down to try to make yourself feel better. And you're so far away from him that every circumstance that comes against you will be listed as an attack of the enemy or somebody else caused it. It's never you because you don't even know who you are anymore. And I don't know who I am when I'm like that. And everything, everything starts with desire. When I met my wife, I chased her. I even made up reasons to accidentally bump into her. Oh, I heard her a couple times, but you know what I'm saying? The desire was so strong that that was my only thought. Everything else became secondary. I found ways to skip work. I found ways to make extra long errands so I have to accidentally run by and, oh, fancy meeting you here at your house. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? When the desire is strong for the Lord, everything else will fall into place. But if you don't have the desire, you cannot, you can't go through religious motions and get any life out of it because the life is in the spirit. And it won't do it. You can't come up with a program to grow. There's no such thing. Because every one of us is an individual. And if, if we took the full spectrum and saw what God's looking at, and he put us on charts, we would all be different places. Some would be some strong in some areas. Others would be weak. And he's got a program with the Holy Spirit for you to grow you into what he needs. But it's got to come from him. You can't get it from your own program. You can't read the Bible every day. You can actually read the Bible every day but never learn anything. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't breathe on it, it's just words. In the book of John, it says that when he, the, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will lead you into all the truth. Let me look that up. Because I, I don't know the other verse and I don't want to miss it because it's important. This is all just kind of preliminary stuff here. I'm going long on preliminary, aren't I? John 16, 13 to 15. It says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all the truth. So whose job is it to teach you? It's not mine. It's the Holy Spirit's. I can say, I can say purple and you can hear duck, if that's what God wants you to hear. And a good example of that is Gideon. When he's at the enemy's camp and he's sitting outside the tent and one of the guys wakes up and says, oh, I just had a dream and there was a wheel that rolled through the camp. And his bunkmate gets up and goes, oh, that's the sword of Gideon. And I'm sure Gideon's sitting outside the tent going, a wheel and a sword. How can a wheel be a sword? Because the Holy Spirit will speak to you and teach you. And if you look at everybody's notes in, in service on Sunday, they won't match. Because God's speaking to you about what you need. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whenever he hear, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit's going to hear from the Father, or Jesus, and he's going to tell you whatever, what's coming. And then 14 and 15, he will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So he's going to take from Jesus, declare that to you. And then all things that the Father has are mine. This is Jesus talking. He said, everything the Father has is now mine. And he, hmm? 16, verses 13 to 15. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So Jesus has it all. Holy Spirit's going to get what he needs from Jesus and deliver it to you, to teach you. And he will lead you into the truth, but only if you're focused on him. If your desire is not just him, whatever he leads you to will be filtered through your own garbage. And you're going to be just a little bit off. And it's not going to quite work. It may be successful enough to keep you from wanting a counseling session, but it's not going to be right. And you know, the pure word of God through a bad, dirty filter is going to come out dirty. It's going to have enough truth in it to keep you attached to it, but it's not going to produce life. And then you're going to get frustrated. 
And I've talked to many, how many of you have ever heard baby Christians say, yeah, God always answers prayers of baby Christians. You know, and we always get mad that he does it. New Christian. He should have not been in the kingdom. It's not true. He answers all prayers. The problem is we're not praying what he wants us to be praying. We're not praying at all. Because we don't believe that it matters. And we get caught up in studying doctrine so that we can declare something because we want to sound smart or like we've got it together. And we're not connected to the vine. And so whatever we're saying has no life to it. And then eventually we just get to be salty old dogs, get out of my yard kind of people. And it and it happened. It's happened to me, and I'm sure it's happened to you. Times, if you're honest. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. God says, "Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, which we do every Sunday morning, but have removed their hearts from far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men." So, in other words, we get into a legalistic approach to who God is, and we just do what we're told to do. But we don't fear him. And the reason we don't fear him is because we don't experience him. I was in a service in uh, Ukraine a few years ago. It was a Messianic congregation. It's, I think, the largest in Europe. I think it's the second largest in the world behind New York. But I walked in. You know, we we went about an hour late because the worship's like two hours and then two or three speakers. And, you know, you got to bring a lunch. And uh, so we went in about after an hour and I got about 30 feet in and I was so overwhelmed by the presence of God that I couldn't hardly breathe. And I remember sitting down saying, I'm scared. And he didn't say anything. His presence will bring fear. And it's not a runaway fear. It's an honoring awe of who he really is. And when that, if that fear is not there, you will not stay on the path. We wander. We, it's like my dog is on one of those collars. That if she wanders too far, it, she won't even get near it. She just sits and looks at it. It's buried. She just knows where the line is. <coughs> and then in 2 Timothy 3, he says, In the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And sadly, that's what the largest majority of the church in general is, but... You know, if you think about it, Jesus turned the world upside down with 12. Basically, he started with 12. He sent out 70. I, I know there were more than that. And then, of course, in Acts, it started growing. But do you know how many Christians there are in the world? If you looked at a census. It's over 2 billion. Islam's just under that. And then I think it's uh, Hinduism is the next one. How many disciples do you think there are? Now, if there's 7 billion people on the planet and over 2 billion say they're Christians, do you think we have 2 billion disciples? No, because church growth has never been a problem for the enemy. He doesn't care if we pack this place out five times a weekend. He just doesn't want disciples. Because disciples are dangerous. Just coming to church is not a problem for him, as long as we stay inside these walls. We'll have more uh, opposition now that we've started reaching out to this neighborhood over here than we've seen in a long time. And it will cause some of us to go, maybe we shouldn't do it anymore. Maybe we're putting too much pressure on them. No, they need pressure. So a disciple is a wholehearted follower, is a learner. If you ever stop learning, you've quit becoming a disciple. 
And we talk about the joys and comforts of salvation, and Jesus talks about taking up your cross and following him. And a disciple, according this is John Carlos Ortiz, disciple is a person who learns to live the life his teacher lives, and gradually he teaches others to live the life he lives. So you need to have a father, a brother, and a son, or a mother, a sister, and a daughter in your life at all times. Somebody who's pouring into you, somebody you're sharing with, and somebody that you're um, working with. And it should be that constant uh, turnover. And everything is part of your training. And so when you have tests and trials, we normally think that's designed to sh- to, for us to fail. You know, it's like, oh, I failed my test. Do you know that failing a test with God is just a marker of the end of your maturity? That's all it does. It just helps locate you. Now, he didn't give you the test to fail you. He doesn't give you a test unless you're ready to pass it. And you get to keep taking it over and over and over and over until you get it right. But it does mark for you where you're at in the discipleship growth process. Does that make sense? Instead of groveling about the fact that you failed, rejoice in the fact that you now know where you are. And put up against the the grid of who he is, you know what you need to work on. And who's going to work on it for you? Holy Spirit. He's going to tell you how to get past this. If your desire is for him. If your desire is not for him, you will go to whatever has your heart. You'll either start watching TV more. You'll start eating more. You'll start doing whatever it is that you do to get away. One of the the saddest things in ministry for me is when I realized that I would get done preaching or teaching and I would go and just veg out. And that is a horrible way to live. Because that means I wasn't getting my strength from him. It was depleting me. Because if I'm getting strength from him, I, I don't need to rest. I don't need to eat all the time. Jesus said, I have food you don't know about. I've had times where ministry, because I'm connected to him, actually feeds me. And I don't need to eat. I need more of those. But That's enough off the front row. All right, and there's a huge difference between stress and pressure. Is, is pressure bad for you? Does God use pressure all the time? Nothing happens to the plant. It just moves. So God uses pressure on us all the time, just gently pushing us along. Stress comes when you resist pressure. So if I pushed it against this podium and kept pushing, something's going to give, probably this basket. If you find in your life that you have a high level of stress, now not all, of course, there are external stresses that come, life situations. I'm not saying all stress is self-induced. But often... Whatever God's putting pressure on you that you resist is going to cause stress in your life. And you know what it is initially. Then, because you can't deal with uh, a thought in your head that doesn't match with Scripture. So let's say, um, try to give you an example. Let's say you believe in healing. My sister passed a few months ago. I prayed for her. She didn't get healed, obviously. So now what am I going to do with with the healing in here? If I'm not connected to him, I'm going to make a doctrine that eliminates healing in my life. And it's called, it creates a stronghold. And you take a part of your brain and anything that doesn't work, that you can't come out because you're part of this church. And this is a word church. And if you've been around Carol any length of time, about every two out of three sentences is scripture. So you can't deny this in good conscience. So what we do is we make a room in our brain and we put that thought in there and we 
explain it away as to why it doesn't apply to me. So now, when I'm praying for people who need healing, my faith is about that big. Or it can be. Because since it didn't work, and I didn't know what to do with it, I just kind of eliminated it in my life. And we're living so much below what the kingdom is. Because of all these areas that we've just allowed the enemy to just take them, we've cooperated, and we just put it completely out. And so if, if you talk to someone who, who won't give, it's because they give and they didn't feel like God met their needs, so they quit giving. And so they've taken all the scriptures that deal with giving, and you'll sit here on Sunday morning and go, hey, man, that's right. And then all the way home, you'll tell your spouse or your friends why it doesn't apply to you. And then wonder why the word isn't producing in your life, why the Holy Spirit's not talking to you. He is talking to you. He's screaming at you. Get your desired focus back on, on Jesus. Get your gaze back there, and then everything will start to fall into place. It doesn't mean it will always be successful. But every failure, if you look in the, in the Bible, every time there was a major failure, like with David or uh, others in the Old Testament, they would take their time to mourn. And then they get up and they eat and they go back to work. And that's the way it should be. Yeah, of course we have sad times and times that are difficult, but they shouldn't debilitate us. It shouldn't set us back five years. And it shouldn't make us question his word. So you're, you're, this has to be constant for you. If this is not constant, you will never gaze at him for very long. You'll find something else to replace him if this isn't true to you. And if it's not true, then you need to be honest with him and say, Look, Father, I don't know why, but I'm having trouble with this book in these areas. Don't question him because of your lack of faith. Get him to help you overcome it. And if you don't deal with stress, you'll eventually become anxious. And anxiety will break your body down and cause you to be very ill. And I'm sure there's a lot of Christians in heaven who shouldn't be there yet. Because they just could not come to grips with the difficulties of life. And trying to navigate that with the goodness of God in difficult situations. And you never will until he is your whole life. Like, if everybody got up and walked out, it should not affect me in here. I mean, it would make me sad. Probably wouldn't do much for my YouTube videos or anything. But, but you know what I'm saying? I can't, if I get anything from you, you control me. Which means I will make this line up with what I think you want to hear. And I'm good enough with Bible study tools and words to manipulate the text to make it do whatever I need it to do. And then what happens is you begin to honor me. I like that. And so I flee even more the presence of God because he'll expose me. And then five years down the road, I'm not even a Christian anymore. And I think that's partly what's been happening lately. So everything starts with desire and then pursuit. Right, so you have to, if you don't have desire, you won't pursue it. You'll just do your legalistic stuff. We have people here every Sunday who do not pursue. Anybody who calls and wants to know who's preaching is not pursuing the Lord. I can tell you that. So if you did, if it was one of you guys, we can talk privately. I don't know who it was. I'm just saying, yeah, <laughs> it's the worship leader. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You're, okay, here's a little gauge for you. Your pursuit of him is directly proportional to your desire. So if you're not pursuing him daily, you do not desire him. You might like what he looks like. You might one day want to be with him. But right now you've got other things that are taking your time. And you, you are pursuing exactly what you desire right now. I hate to say it that way, but it's true. I do everything I want to do. And so do you.
And if somebody tells me they don't have time, what they're saying is that what I'm doing is more valuable than what you're offering. And if it's something I really want, I will find a way to make it work. Every time. Never fails. So you have exactly what you've been wanting. Told you I was going to have you all looking down when you left. I mean, me too. I'm not happy with where I see parts of my life. Because I haven't been desiring him above the other distractions. I haven't been desiring him above a lot of things in some areas. And it's, so if you, if you desire, if you truly desire him, then the disciplines aren't legalistic anymore. So praying, fasting, reading the scripture is a way for intimacy and communion and not a have to. It becomes part of the, the process. And we're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about forgiveness and love and, and pride and humility and all those basic tenets of the faith. And, and I've always done that, but I've never put it in the context of a growing pattern. That that, that desire and pursuit has to be the base always. I can't just learn about forgiveness and then move on to the next topic. Forgiveness has to be operating in every area of my life, and I need to be growing in it. And I have to desire that because it's in here. Matthew 18, Matthew 6. If you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. Okay, so I have no options. I've got to learn forgiveness. But if I don't start with a desire for forgiveness because that's who he is, it becomes legalistic and I actually damage people when I'm trying to forgive them. I say things like, please forgive me if I hurt you. Which is like, uh, well, you shouldn't be hurt, but if you're weak and hurt, then I'm sorry. And it doesn't, and people know it immediately. The way I deliver humility, pride, love, grace, all those things will tell you where my desire and my pursuit has been. If it's in a legalism or if it's in passionate pursuit of him. So prayer, if you're not praying, you're not pursuing. Fasting? What does fasting do besides make you hungry? If it makes you look anywhere but him, you shouldn't bother. You're wasting your time. I don't know about you, but every time somebody says a fast, I immediately get hungry. It's like, I could probably make it till 7.30. <laughs> then I'm done. <laughs> or reading the Word. Have you had seasons where you love to read the Word and it comes alive? And, and then seasons where it's just bleh, Or it's dry. It's because your gaze changed. The Word didn't change. He hasn't changed. So if there's any change or movement, it's because of you, not because of him. Now, there are times in Scripture where God removes himself, but it's usually to get you to chase him. It's much more playful than, than it is uh, disciplinary. And there's times where he gets quiet because you've been disobedient. But you knew that. He's just waiting on you to acknowledge it. great example of that is... Um, when Ishmael was born, I think it's the last verse of chapter 16 of Genesis. It says Abraham was uh, 86 when Ishmael was born. And then the first verse of 17 says when Abraham was 99. So you've got a 13-year gap of silence. You know, if my dad was yelling at me, I knew it was okay. If he got quiet, I knew it was bad. And the same way with God, sometimes he'll withdraw. But honestly, you always... As a disciple, if you know the Lord, you always instantly know when you've transgressed. And if you don't deal with it immediately, the deception begins. And then pretty soon, you don't know why you can't hear from the Lord. And he's just waiting. Now, you can always repent. You can just tell him, I don't know what's going on. Please forgive me and teach me and show me and he'll bring you right out. His goal isn't to to suppress you his goal is to make you look like his son so he's not going to do anything that's going to hinder that by hiding and 
you know, making you feel like dirt. You are dirt, actually. So am I. So it start, for us, one of the best ways to view it is um, character. So who are you when nobody's looking? Because that's who you really are. What do you watch? What do you read? What do you pay attention to? Um, and that's a scary thought sometimes because... And see, nobody else can know that but me. I'm only going to show you what I want you to see. And it's when I begin to believe that what I'm showing you is all that I am that I become deceived. And then the next thing you know, you're into all kinds of things. And the the point is that if if the Holy Spirit's in you, which I know he is, because Scripture says he is, you have to make a conscious choice to fail. At some point, you're making a choice to fail. Because it's impossible to fail. When you've got Jesus praying for you, the Holy Spirit's in you, you've got the Word, you've got friends, you've got the body, you have to want to fail. And, I, you know, honestly, sometimes I do. I can remember times where I knew I was going to have to forgive. And I said, you know what, Lord? I'll do it tomorrow. Today I'm going to let them have it. And I did. And, of course, conviction comes. He goes, sit down. And he goes, well, now you have two problems. You've got to fix that relationship. And I'm not real happy with you either. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so we fix it. <coughs> you know. You always know immediately. Now, if you don't know anymore, it's because you've been hiding it a long time. And the Holy Spirit's not got access to that part of your soul anymore. You've shut him out. He can renew it at any time. But that's why the we, we've made it so hard. That's why the church is so ineffective. We've made it like this huge issue. You know, you've got to work hard. You don't have to work hard. The Holy Spirit's right there. He's telling you, don't do it, knucklehead. And you do it. And then he goes, why'd you do it? I don't know. And then he's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to do it again. And then you, that's why when I grew up in the Baptist church, we rededicated our life every June. Because we knew that we screwed up a lot and we didn't have any idea where we were by the next June. So we just started over. So we start over, you get a do over. And then they like to scare you know, we always went up for the rededication because sometime during the sermon there would be like, you don't know if you're going to go outside and get hit by a bus. This could be your last shot. I'm going up. I want to be a disciple. <laughs> so during the days of the early church, um, they used to sell pottery. And they would have it up on a shelf. And then uh, occasionally, one would develop a crack. And so shop owner would take a, a candle, melt wax into the crack, smooth it over, spin it, and sell it like it was new and fine. And after a while, people would start asking the shop owner, is this pot without cracks knowing that some of them did that and that's the same concept in 2nd Timothy or 1st Timothy 1 5 when he talks to Timothy about sincere faith that's the concept behind sincere faith is is your faith without cracks Is the integrity of your faith whole? Or have you hidden things? Because you put wax in a pot and you pour hot water in it, it's going to leak. As soon as that wax melts. And what he's saying is, if your integrity is not intact, when the pressure comes, you're going to break. You're not going to be able to withstand it. And if you don't have a, a, a foundation of integrity, you won't make it. And the best way to, to know that is, what do you watch? What do you read? What do you talk about? What, do you have one conversation with us and a totally different conversation at work? Don't answer. But it'll help you locate yourself. So you know what? I, I compromise a lot. 
and the the idea of integrity is where the wall between your public life and your private life comes down. In other words, this is me. It'll be the same whether there's a hundred of you or one or nobody. It just drops down. There's no difference. I'm not talking about your personal information and bank account, all that junk. I'm talking about you, who you are. Are you the same with everybody all the time? And do you know how much less work it is to not have to wonder about what you've shown to who? I mean, when I was a teenager, I lied all the time, because depending on what I wanted, it got really hard to remember who I said what to. And it's a whole lot easier to just be honest and truthful and walk in integrity. And uh, implied in character and integrity is industrialist, industrialistness, loyalty, compassion. Uh, do you go to meetings on time? That's a matter of integrity. When I was in Arkansas, I was working at a base, and uh, I worked for the base director, and so he would share with me what God was telling him, and he always did it on a napkin. I used to have a box of napkins of his little drawings on it. But then he would tell it to me, and then the leadership team, and then another leadership team. And so by the time it got to the whole staff, I'd already heard it four times. And we had about 200 staff, so they were going to have a meeting, and I thought, you know what, I've heard this four times. I'm going to go do something, and then... I'll come in a little bit late. Nobody will know. So he was up front, 200 people all looking at him. And I try to sneak in the back door, and he just stops and immediately glares at me. And, of course, all 200 people turn around see who's coming in. And he just looked, and he said, I can see you don't value my time or theirs. I was like, you know what? I said, you're right. Please forgive me. Because that is, it shows you who you really are. Because it's not about you. It's about him. And it shows up in the little things. Honesty. Integrity. Do you go to meetings on time? What if you, what if you went to Kroger and accidentally got an extra $20 change and you noticed it when you got home? Would you say, oh, God blessed me. Or would you take it back? I mean, I can't answer that for you. But that's where the foundation gets eroded. It's not the big stuff. You're not going to go out and rob a bank, probably. You're going to do something little. And nothing's going to happen, and you're going to gain strength in the fact that you can get away with sin. Because the minute you try to get away with something, you've already changed your gaze. Because if you're looking at him, you don't want to get away from it. If you're looking at him, integrity is easy. Because it's so much less costly than what he paid. Integrity gets difficult when you've shown people two or three of you. So it's being committed to the well-being of others. Being truthful at all times while understanding that the truth hurts and doesn't always need to be spoken. A little bit sensitive. Some scriptures, Psalm 15 talks about who may dwell on your holy hill, the, you know, upright heart and all. There's a list of who can stay in God's presence. In verse 4, it says, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. God holds you accountable for what you say. And if you're going to say it, you have to do it or ask to be released from it. And if you'll go back and look in Samuel, when uh, the Gibeonites came to Joshua, he made a covenant with them. Uh, and it says he did not seek the Lord. He made a covenant. And later on, Saul comes. He's king. He's having a bad day. He kills some Gibeonites. And then later, David is king. And he's in a three-year famine. And he inquires of the Lord. I'd say that was a rather slow reaction. Three years. But he got there. And God said it's because... Uh, Saul didn't honor the covenant that was made with the Gibeonites. And if you read the story, then David brings them into his palace, reestablishes the covenant, and then the famine's over. So even if you've been lied to and manipulated, if you agree to it, you're responsible for it. Integrity requires that you do what you say. And I think that's pretty clear why Scripture says, be slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak. And I'm not talking about, you know, releasing 
I'm not talking about teaching on words like, oh, don't say that. You're, you know. it, I'm talking about what you, when you make a covenant with somebody. If I say I'm going to pick you up at 5, I better be there at 5 or call you. Now, if it's a casual relationship, I'm not saying get weird and you know, call at 504. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, the intent. All right, I am not a letter of the law guy. I'm an intent of the law. So don't get legalistic on me and say, well, you were supposed to be here at 5, and it's 5.02. I did my best. But you get the point. If you say you're going to help, you sign up to help and do something, and you just decide you don't want to be bothered, that shows that you have no integrity. And what it means is, in important things, there is a price where you'll sell out. Well, you will not do it. Even if you don't care. And that's, that's what these things do, is they show you who you are. Because when you're asking for God's presence, and you're wanting to see miracles, do you realize how precious God's action in your life really is? The fact that he would even look at you is off the charts amazing. And he's so awesome and so powerful and so loving and so kind and strong and faithful and good. That's a huge price to trade in because you're lazy. Which is really all it amounts to. Or you've decided at some point you are now God in this situation. So let me ask you another one. What happens when you don't like rules? When I did my DTS in YWAM, I was 33 years old. I'd been married for 13 years. I had four children, and we weren't allowed to watch TV. And I like football. So I had a conversion van with a TV in it. And I took it out of the van, and I put it in a closet. Because you know how brave you got to be to watch TV in a closet with the door shut where nobody can see you behind the coats. <laughs> no, I know this was, I, don't, I did not do that. <laughs> so I, I watched football every, every Sunday, you know, and I'd sneak out and grin and thinking I got away with it again. And we were in a class or something and God spoke so clearly. He goes, you need to go confess that to your leader, ask forgiveness and repent. Like, I'm married and got, I can watch a football game. <laughs> and I had to go ask forgiveness, repent. Uh, well, my school leader was Tim Talbot. So we only had a couple fights. But he wasn't married at the time, had no children. And uh, he helped me grow. Let's just say that. Integrity requires discipline. And if you can, if you're, if you're gazing at him, fasting, prayer, scripture reading will become joyful to you because that's where you're getting your life from. They're going to feed you. And then everything else he asks you to do won't be a big deal. Your, your, your walk with God needs to look like an iceberg. Honestly, people see 10%. The other 90 is hidden. It's his. That's where you commune with him. Your ministry is what you get to give out. It's the 10% that you show people. But let me just say this. Don't seek, the, don't seek ministry. Seek the fruit of a disciplined life. Do you know how awesome it is to be with a group of people who just love God? That's all. They don't care. There's no strife. There's no fussing and fighting. There's no argument over where the air conditioner ought to be set, what color carpet we should have. I, I was in a church one time that they split over where which side of the auditorium the piano went. They split over that. And Carol, <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's so sad, it's funny. I've been in meetings where they were arguing over whether they even have a piano in the room. And then I said... Let's just throw it in the river. And everybody got mad at me. 
though. But those things aren't important when your life's in order. It doesn't really matter. But it requires discipline. Discipline is work unless it's based on intimacy. It's not hard when you love someone. It's only hard when you feel like they're taking from you. So if you get up in the morning and say, I don't want to pray because I want to watch the news. That tells me that the news is your idol and has a higher place in your life than God. I'm not talking about legalistic. First thing you got to do is pray. What I'm saying is if prayer, fasting, and uh, only minimal fasting. And scripture reading isn't a daily feeding for you. It's not where your gaze is. It's not where your desire is. And it'll just keep getting harder and harder and harder until you quit. And you become, you are the sum of your choices. Like today, you're the sum of everything you've chosen up till today. And uh, C.S. Lewis, I did that in honor of Tim. In his book, uh, The Problem of Pain, he said, Hell is locked from the inside. That because you choose so long a certain way, you will eventually no longer choose another way. And God doesn't have to lock hell. You're going to choose to stay in it. And that's a scary thought. Because when deception becomes your reality, that's a pretty lonely place. So, I think we've... Anybody have any questions? I think we have a microphone here. Or thoughts. Or... Yes, on the front row. <laughs> yeah, if you could. If not, I'll have to repeat the question. I know, I know. Could you say it a little bit more to the left? <laughs> um, when you were talking about things that um, really throw you and can, and can paralyze you for five years earlier on, and you mentioned the, the loss of your sister. These are things that are really are significant. You know, I've lost my sister years ago, and it, 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 and it didn't paralyze me for five years. But I know someone who, I know people, and one in particular who lost someone very precious, and, and it has kind of paralyzed that person for a while. And what's the balance between c- compassion for that type of pain and you know, hey, suck it up and get over it. Let's, because sometimes it can so easily come across like that. I, I think it's you know everybody grieves differently, and it depends. You, the the more you love, the more you get hurt when something goes wrong. So it was a little different for my sister and I. We didn't have a great relationship, so it wasn't as painful as when I lost my mother. Um, I think you can you can, you can never go wrong with being compassionate. And then pointing them back to the Lord. To say, you know, Jesus suffered like this. I mean, not, not to uh, patronize. But to remind them that everybody suffers. You know, everyone's. And that's why uh, Kevin and I have been listening to a, a different, podca- or different YouTube by a clinical psychologist. He, he's a great thinker. Uh, and he said, you know, you have to have something more than happiness. You can't strive for happiness because happiness is going to come and go. And so when it's there, you're going to be really happy. But then when it goes, you're left with nothing. So he says, if you don't have something stronger or more substantive than happiness, you're not going to make it long term. And I think sometimes uh, we try to make our pain a little too big and... You know, and you know, I, I w- wouldn't say this to somebody, but I have met people that the idea of grieving is more important to them than the actual grief because of the attention it brings. After a season, you know, I mean, of course, everyone's sad at first, but then if they, if, and I'm not saying this person's like that, I'm just saying that you have to just, Holy Spirit has to tell you. And I think that's another thing, too, with the whole discipleship process. It's a daily 
relying on the Holy Spirit because one, two people can look identical. One can be fine, and one needs a slap. And uh, only the Holy Spirit knows that. And for, for anybody to ever tell you they think they know your motive, that's the most arrogant statement ever because only God, God doesn't give me access to your heart. He may show me what is uh, affecting your heart, and he give me a way to say it that you can embrace it and actually look at it. But he's not going to let me see what's in you. I can't handle that kind of information. I'm not trustworthy enough, and neither are you. And so the heart, the internal part of you, that's his turf. And he doesn't need help with that. He'll give you words of wisdom, words of knowledge to help guide someone out through their pain. But I think the same way, um, you really have to rely on the Holy Spirit. When someone's paralyzed, because we all react and face things differently and who knows because I don't even when I'm looking you know like when I lost my mother it wasn't just that I lost her there were all kinds of things that flooded back through from my childhood and things that had affected me I had no idea about that the Lord showed me and so that was a different process than when my dad went you know it was so if it helps me to remember that even in my, who I am, my situations are different and I need the Holy Spirit on each of them. How much more do I need him when I'm talking to someone else who's hurting to understand what's going on in their life? That's just my opinion. Yeah, we're, we're, this is on discipleship. Um, I've got a son who um, is an atheist, and uh, one of those atheists, like, there is no God, and I hate him. Mm-hmm. And so... Which makes uh, you think that's an interesting way to say it. Yes. If he's not there, how can you hate him? Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so all I'm doing is I've, I've kind of worked, you know, I've been through different cycles of how to, how to disciple him. And there's always prayer, of course, just pray, 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 and, you know. Um, and then I'm, I'm just kind of at a loss right now as to which way to go. I saw him a few months ago. We spent a week with him in Florida, and one of his parting where we were, he said, Pop, I'm just not buying it. I don't need it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, well, you know, yeah. I'm not selling it. I guess. <laughs> You're being a good evangelist. <laughs> uh I got saved by myself in my car. I just cried out to him and he came. So you don't really know what he's doing in your son's heart. Obviously, if he's that angry, then there's something going on in there. Because if, you know, if you're not angry, if you don't care, you don't care. So um, I think the, the biggest thing, too, as a disciple, we're never responsible for results. Doesn't matter if I share to a thousand people, if nobody comes, it's not my problem. They're his kids, his people. He bought them. I'm just here to serve. The Holy Spirit will tell me, you still can always say no. And uh, so you just plant seeds, let the Holy Spirit bring other people to water them, and then one day you may be shocked. But then, then again, you may not. I mean, it's. I wish I could say, oh yeah, everybody's going to go. But I do know this, that God is extremely kind and good and loving and he wants them a whole lot more than you do in the kingdom and when my sister died um, it was mostly self-inflicted I don't think she knew the Lord up until that hospital stay Uh, but then there was a day I was talking to her and not trying to evangelize just saying you know you need to get right with the Lord because this isn't looking good I I said it gentler than that but uh, then I just had a peace. And, you know, he, I, I believe that he's good enough that if he has to, he can arrest time and talk to her on the way out. Say, you know, that you're out here. <laughs> and uh, so I just had a peace that I'll see her again one day and just trust in his goodness. So I wish I could say, I do this, 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 and this, and then sit back and watch, but... But I think the big thing is that we're so quick often. 
God will speak, and then we think we have to make it happen. Like if he says, go to Africa, and we go out and immediately buy a ticket, but we never said, when do you want me to go? Who do you want me to go with? You know, we're running off down the road, and he's like, I can't tell him anything. He just takes off. (laughs) So, And, you know, once you release yourself of the, the weight of results, it gets a lot easier to put up with what looks like bad ones. You know. Any other questions or thoughts? Bad dad jokes or all right, let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you that you want us to look like Jesus. And I thank you that you've given us every way to. And I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would shake us. You'd shake the things that are tying us down. You'd shake the things that are loose and help us to tighten up what needs to be tightened. That we would get our gaze back on you. That you would show us the areas that we've released. And then you'd show us other areas that we need to release. And that we would just come back into full fellowship with you having complete confidence in everything you say and everything you do. And more than that, Lord, whatever whatever sparked thought tonight, I pray if it was from you that it would just haunt us all night. And if it wasn't from you, I pray they'd forget it before they get out the door. And we just love you and we trust you and we look forward to being with you again. In Jesus' name, amen.